You are listening to the Grace Covenant Cornelius Podcast. Well, this morning we get to not only welcome our guest speaker, but we get to welcome our campuses, so the East Lincoln campus, the Statesville campus are joining us live this morning uh, as we have Pastor Glenn here to bring the word for us. Let me introduce my friend to you. Uh, Many of you would know Glenn. His influence for our church family, uh, certainly for my family and our church family, has been great. He was a pastor here at Grace Covenant for 12 years. Actually, this piece of property that we're on today uh, was purchased under Glenn's leadership. He had the vision to see what this area was becoming, and under his leadership, We purchased the 22 acres of which now we have our worship facility on. Then Glenn went on to become the district supervisor, the general supervisor. He served two terms as the president of our movement. And now he's in this wonderful season called retirement. Yeah, so he's enjoying retirement. But I am grateful for the wisdom and the insight um, that Glenn has. I'm grateful for his investment in my life. He took the risk to hire me out of Bible College, 1990. I came on staff here at Grace Covenant because of his invitation. And through the years, he has been a mentor in my life, spoken wisdom, given guidance, at times uh, correction, but more times just encouragement. He has been a father of the faith to me. A blessing to our church family and to our larger Foursquare family. He and his wife Debbie now reside uh, right outside of Atlanta, uh, where they've retired to be close to uh, their daughter Heidi. Uh, two children and five, four grandchildren. Thank you. I was thinking five. I was adding you one extra. Four grandchildren. But we are honored to have my friend and our pastor, Pastor Glenn Burst Jr., to join us this morning. So would you give him a warm welcome as he comes to bring the word? Thank you, Farrell. Love you. Well, what a great day. Thank you for being here. I feel so honored to be able to share the word with you. And uh, to those that are joining online, I uh, had several friends contact me and said I won't be there. Uh, in fact, some are out of the state, and they said we're going we're gonna to connect with, with uh, you online this morning. So anyway, it's just my privilege to be with you. Um, Farrell talked about retirement. I think it's the gift of time. It's just um, wonderful to be able to kind of choose what you want to do. Um, we, we are kind of busy, but it's just it's life, and we get to go hang out with our grandkids in Pennsylvania and hang out with our, our grandson in Georgia. This is fun. Now, I know where retirement's going, so I have a friend who's a dec- two decades older than me, and I asked him one day, I said, when did you quit preaching? Because he told me he'd quit preaching. He said, well, the day that I preached for two and a half hours and couldn't find a way to stop um, I decided I probably shouldn't preach anymore. So I, I don't think that you have to worry about that today. Uh, but there will come a day uh, when maybe somebody will have to pull me off the stage. Um, I love your pastor. I um, put a post in there yesterday about him. I've not met any pastors I know of that exceed the level of integrity that Farrell lives with, that exceed his worth, ec- worth ethic that exceed his commitment to mission 
And, um, and so I think I get some credit for knowing what a good leader he would be and then, uh, leaving him in charge. It's always great when your children or people that followed you in business or ministry exceed where you went. And, uh, I think that's, that's a high compliment to the Lord's plans. Um, just to show you a few pictures, cause my wife, Debbie, we've been married 46 years. She didn't fall in love with this. I want to show you what she fell in love with if we have this picture. Um, so I was in college and met Debbie, and we fell head over heels for each other. And then I think they have another picture of ministry recently. But, uh, yeah, life changes. Context is so important. Would you say that with me? Context is so important. Because I'm going to read and talk to you this morning about a city. A city where the dream of God, of taking the gospel to the rest of the world, happened. But it happens in a way that has to intersect the reality of what life would look like beyond Jerusalem and beyond Judea. And I'm going to talk about Corinth today for a little bit. Because there may not be a city that more reflects the current culture of our world than the city of Corinth. Debbie and I have been there. We've been to ancient Corinth. We've traveled through the architectural digs, and and it sits between two bodies of water, and there's a canal. If you ever want to Google the canal in, in Corinth, you'll see it. It's just barely big enough for boats to get through. And it's it's a phenomenal city, but it's, but it's also um, a city where Paul wrote two letters to, and he was very concerned about them because of what their emphasis was. Now, remember, um, Athens is probably 78 um, kilometers away from uh, Corinth. So that whole area of Greece, which is, if you think a little bit about the map, you have Africa, then you have the Middle East, a little north and east. And then you have Europe starting. Turkey actually is in Europe and Asia. And so Greece is beside uh, Turkey. Turkey is actually, you know, was one of the first outposts of Christianity. In fact, if you read the book of Revelation, the seven letters to the churches in the book of Revelation are all today in modern Turkey. So the gospel left Jerusalem and, and went up through Turkey into Greece and then into Europe. So as it's made its way to Greece, and you can follow Paul's missionary journeys, how they started churches, and, and then they would have to disciple these churches as they went along. Because frankly, and this is what Farrell said earlier today, oftentimes the church looks more like the world than it does the definition that Jesus gave the church. So when Paul recognized that, he would write to them and he said, oh, no, 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 no. And and what I love about Paul and what I love about Farrell's heart, and I think good pastors do this, they don't always tell you what you're doing wrong. They point the picture of what you should be doing right. I think the best parents that I know don't spend the majority of their time telling their kids what they've done wrong. They spend their time talking about what the kids should do right. They paint a model and a picture of them. I love the story about the couple that took off on a trip with their two boys, and I remember this very clearly, is before they got out of town, they were arguing, bickering, kicking the back seats, and, and the father and mother just had enough. And so finally, the father pulled out, pulled over, pulled them out, and that was in the days where you could pop them. Um, and 
so the father popped him and got him back in the car, and he said, I don't want to hear you for, for three hours. And he even made them put their nose in the corner of the, the seats back there. And so after about an hour, one of the little boys said, Dad, could I, could I say something? And Dad says, well, I guess so. And he said, when you popped me back there, you popped me so hard, I, I lost one of my shoes. Um, so you can imagine the context of that whole thing. The boy didn't think he could say anything, so now they're an hour away from where his shoe is. I read a story in Sports Illustrated recently about a kid that I, I want to point out as a model to you today, and then we're going to get into this um, letter to the church at Corinth. I, I would, if you are looking for a place to land and do some Bible study, I encourage you to get into Corinthians because Paul engages a church that is often fighting, often boasting, often arrogant. And yet he says to them, here's the model of what God's looking for. And so I see this counter conversation where Paul's saying, here's the culture you're in, but here's what you should be pursuing. So this kid's named Tanner. He's seven years old. He's the age of my grandson. This was an article in Sports Illustrated. I love this story. Tanner uh, was playing first base. Their team made the playoffs. And so Tanner was playing first base. The ball got hit to him. And the runner from first took off to second. And Tanner reached out to tag him. And the umpire called him out. So the play was dead. And then Tanner just stood there at first base throwing his ball into the mitt. And the, the umpire came up and said, uh, young man, we need to go on with the game. So you need to throw it to the pitcher. And he said, I missed him. He said, I didn't tag him. He's safe. Well, the umpire was, he was startled that this kid would admit this. And so he walks over to the other umpires. They gather behind the pitcher's mound. And to everybody's shock, they call the kid safe. Now, that did not endear Tanner to his teammates or to the parents who are pretty competitive. They won the game, though. A couple games later, Tanner's now playing shortstop, and there's a runner on first and second. The ball gets hit to Tanner. The runner's going from second to third. Tanner reaches out. The umpire calls him out. I mean, excuse me, the umpire calls him safe. Now, you can know where this is leading. Tanner's sitting there at shortstop, and he's throwing the ball in his glove. And the same umpire who uh, called the other game walked up to him, and he knew his name. He said, Tanner, what's wrong? He said, I got him. I tagged him. And so the umpire walked over to the other umpires, gathered around the mound, and they called him out. I just want to tell you, this kid was such a truth teller. And the image that he reflected was one of truth and one of trustworthiness and one of integrity. That even these umpires reversed their own judgment. They didn't even need instant replay. They just wanted to ask Tanner what happened. In fact, maybe next time that's what they should do, not make a call, say, Tanner, did you tag him or not? What I love about that, though, is the fact that the reflection of who he was. We talk a lot about measurements today, and I, I want to remind us of a God who probably cares a lot more about character than he does about competition. He cares a lot more about what happens that nobody sees than what a lot of people see. Now, I love to connect with Facebook because it allows me to connect with people all around the world. Debbie and I have been to about 75 countries. And so I don't know if this is you. Please forgive me. But oftentimes I would get a direct message that says, OMG, is this you in the video? 
And then maybe six hours later or something, they'll write back and say, please don't open that. I was hacked. And I won't, I've never said this, but I want to say to them, no, you weren't hacked. You were duped. I mean, you probably hit the video, which I admit I did only once. And when you hit it, all of a sudden viruses, you've opened up to a virus in your computer. So how do we stay on guard? How do we, how do we know when we are drifting in or that we are looking more like the world? Corinth, if, if you remember this, they, they exuded the difference between Jews and Gentiles. So they were into intellectualism, they were into competitiveness, they were into human exaltation. Um, if you go to Athens today, everywhere you see are the reminders of them worshiping gods and goddesses because they were exalting in the form of human likeness gods. Oftentimes when the Jews would conquer an enemy, the first thing they had to do was tear down the altars to to gods. I remember when Gideon was called to rescue Israel from the Midianites. What he discovered was in the middle of Israel, they had erected their own idols and gods. That was the angriest I've ever seen God in the Old Testament when Moses and God come back from the mount and They have talked Aaron into making them idols that reminded them. You know what the problem with an idol is? The problem with an idol is is we control it. And God says, I won't share my glory with another. It was Saul who sent the Ark of the Covenant that represented the presence of God into battle with the Philistines. And the Bible says they lost the battle, which is interesting because they were using it to negotiate God's partnership with them, but they lost the battle, lost the ark. They put the ark, and I love this, they put the ark in their temple beside their god Dagon, and the next morning their god had fallen down and was laying prostrate. You read it. It was laying prostrate before the ark of the covenant. So they set the ark back up. I mean, excuse me, they set the god back up, and the next morning Dagon had fell over again, and this time had broke his hands and feet, and at that point the Philistines sent the ark back to Israel. And they said, there is no comparison between our gods and your gods. Well, what you discover about the, which is why I told you context is so important. What you discover about the the land of Corinth is that there was a lot of sex, self-exaltation. It was, it was a lot of sexual immorality too, but there was a lot of self-evaluation uh, in a way that said, we're going to exalt uh, ourselves. They felt superior, which became a toxic environment in the church. It's one thing for it to exist in culture. It's another thing for that mindset to find its way in the church. Boasting, listen to this, boasting was a sport for them. Paul writes boasting 59 times in the Bible, and 39 of those were included in the letters to the church at Corinth. You have thought more of yourself. In fact, Proverbs says it this way. Let someone else praise you and not your own mouth, an outsider and not your own lips. I'm going to read this passage of Scripture in 1 Corinthians and then try to give you just a brief summary of what I would want you to carry away from our time together this morning. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, This then is how you ought to regard us, as servants of Christ and as those entrusted with the mysteries of 
that God has revealed now is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. Paul had a lot of critics during that day, as all leaders do, but I love what he said is, I carry very little if I'm judged by you or by any human court. In other words, at the end of the day, can I tell you something? I'm sure you know this, but at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what other people say about you. It really doesn't even matter what you think about yourself. The ultimate judge of your life will be God himself. So we look at this, and Paul's reminding them that people's personal opinion, because when I talk to you about the versions you're dealing with in your own life, one is going to be the public version of your life. That's what other people know about you. But they don't always see the private version, the version that you know, the version of thoughts that are never revealed, the, the version of even acts committed. And we spend sometimes a whole lifetime trying to create a public image of who we are. But if you're driven by the opinions of others, you will be a prisoner of those opinions. So this is a version we all have to deal with is this public opinion of us. And sometimes we get defensive. Sometimes we get reactive. Then there's the private version that no one knows about. Then there's the real version. That's, that's who you really are. That's, that's what the people who are close to you know. Um, that's just, that's what God knows. He knows the real you. And then there's the version I want us to just shoot for today. And that's the version God sees of you. That's the image he's taking you toward. That's the transformation. It's not the public version. It's not the private version. It's not even the real version. It's the image of himself in you that he wants to reflect his glory. He won't share his glory with another, but he will reflect his glory through you. The Bible says about in Matthew, and he's preaching the most famous sermon in the world, the the Sermon on the Mount. He talks about doing good works so that people would see your good works and glorify whom? Him, not you. So Paul's writing to the church at Corinth, and he says, I care very little if I'm judged by you or any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. In Corinth, (laughs) even among Christians, they had people on pedestals preaching, and they would choose who was the best preacher. It was part of their culture. It was part of their culture to, to compete and, and to win by superiority. And Paul is saying, listen, I, I love what Paul says because Paul does list at some point all of the things that he had accomplished in his life. But then he says what all of us ought to hear. The apostles are at the back of the line. And I am the least of the apostles. And then he even goes further. He said, well, actually, I'm the chief of sinners. Wow. Jim Collins wrote a book called Good to Great, and he evaluated all these companies across the, the world, and he said the greatest single characteristic of every leader of a great company that lasts is humility. Wow. Even the world in their own research says at the end of the day, you want to bank on somebody who's going to last? Bank on somebody who knows who they are and who they're not who aren't self-impressed. Paul said, my conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light which is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of the heart. At that time, 
Each will receive their praise from God. Now, brothers and sisters, I've applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit so that you may learn from us the meaning of this saying, do not go beyond what it is written. Then you will be, will, will you not be puffed up? Do you, I mean, you know the scriptures say knowledge puffs up. Can I even tell the church this morning, biblical knowledge even puffs people up. We act like we know more about the Bible. So we are right fighters rather than servants of trying to help people discover who the image of God is. We are promoting one another rather than promoting the Lord. And, but Paul says, don't be, go beyond what's written for who makes it different. Who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did not receive it, why do you boast as, as the fact that you did? Paul writes this idea of who you are in everybody else's eyes versus who you are when no one's looking. I mean, he, Jesus would preach a sermon and say, you say unto another, if you kill somebody, you're guilty of murder. But I say to you, if you look at somebody with hate in your heart, you're guilty of murder. I mean, Jesus just flipped the script. And there's this version of us that, you know, we're trying to navigate our, our way that, that is the real version, the self that only God really knows. You may not even always know it. But my capacity for self-assessment is very limited and sometimes very frightening. It's easy to become self-deceived. In fact, 70% of high schoolers were interviewed who were above average intelligence, and they interviewed 800,000 of them. And guess what percentage came back that said they struggled getting along with others? Zero percent. Not one person said they had trouble getting along with others. In fact, I would say this by being on the road a lot. A majority of drivers feel like they should be in the Daytona 500. Um, I noticed a little bit of that yesterday. I, I had the cars that passed me had to be going 110 miles an hour. There's a gap between my private self and my real self. Paul said simply, when you think about what would you say at the end of your life, Paul, of all the things you've done, all the churches you've planted, all the letters you've written, this is what he said, I've kept the faith. Wow. I didn't allow my soul to be captured or kidnapped. Second Corinthians 4 says, For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us all of this stuff that we're navigating is achieving for us an eternal glory that outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes on not what is seen, but what is unseen. The greatest disciples that I've met in my life, the people that are growing deep roots. When you go to China and you meet the church there, it wasn't an absence of pain. It was actually the presence of pain that drove them to understand what is actually real about life. When they had their Bibles taken away and they had their churches shut down and they had the missionaries kicked out of the country and their pastors jailed, they had to discover what the unseen kingdom was all about. It isn't what you can measure. You can't say, here's the kingdom, there's the kingdom. But I love our communion this morning because at the cross, egos die. At the cross, my sin is crucified. At the end of the day, whose image are we reflecting 
I love the scriptures as that death could not hold you, the veil tore before you, the silence of boast and sin in the grave. The heavens are roaring, the praise of your glory, for you are raised to life again. You have no rival, you have no equal. Now and forever, God, you reign. Yours is the kingdom, yours is the glory. It was after Jesus prayed once that his disciples says, teach us to pray like that. What was that prayer? This is the prayer. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. The powerful worship song that I'm, sung, I'm sure you've sung is said, here as in what? Heaven. Here. We want heaven on earth. We want it lived out through us. We don't want my version of heaven. We want your version of heaven. At the end of the day, whose version, whose image is being reflected? My conversation to you this morning is, and it's to me too, is don't try and appear more impressive than you really are. Inflated egos are the prerequisite to disaster. The greatest ministry I've ever been associated with collapsed overnight, and Jack Hayford, my friend, came to me and said, these people have surrounded themselves with people who won't tell them the truth. This ministry is over. He said that before it was over. A self-assessment is always critical, but at the end, our capacity for self-deception is frightening. I'm going to tell you one story, and then I'm going to close with with a thought. 300 years ago, there was a captain that captained a boat in the seas, and his name was Captain Fudge. This is true. This is what his name was, Captain Fudge. If you go to the Webster's Dictionary today and look up the definition of fudge, the first definition you can get is a sugary... Uh, candy, but the second definition you're going to get is stretches the truth. When you played a game and you fudged, do you know we get that from this captain? Because 300 years ago, as he told the tales of the seas to his sailors, historical accounts say they would roll their eyes. Like, that's just Captain Fudge. He always exaggerates. So the word, imagine this, your name becomes synonymous with lying, with fudging the truth. Because the image he was reflecting was not one that people could go and celebrate. And yet, as Christians, we have this responsibility because we call ourselves Christ followers In fact, in the Bible, Christians only used, I think, two or three times what disciples used hundreds of times. Why? Because it's more about the life you're living, not what you're called, not about the label. In Corinthians, Paul goes on to address the gifts of the Spirit and the fruits of the Spirit and my favorite chapters, 1 Corinthians 13, because I'm not sure there's a greater chapter that tells you what it will look like if you're reflecting God. Love does not boast. Love is patient. Love is kind. And I'm just going to finish with one this morning. Out of all the things in 1 Corinthians 13, if you want to know what it looks like to reflect God rather than yourself, rather than the image you're trying to portray, go to 1 Corinthians and say, these are the things. If people see this in my life, they will see God. I think one of my favorites is when it says love does not keep record of wrongdoings. 
Jeremiah would say this about God. This is hundreds of years before Paul would write this. But Jeremiah said this about God. I love this. I know your wickedness, but I forgive it. And I will remember it no more. I love that in Jeremiah 31. I know your wickedness, but I will remember it no more. So let me, let me issue a challenge to you this morning. I'm praying over you to reflect holy amnesia. Now, there's another amnesia I'm not sure I want at this age. But there's an amnesia of forgetting intentionally. See, for most of us, we say, I can forgive, but I will never forget. But if your life reflects God, it won't just be about forgiveness. It'll be about forgetting. I want our life to reflect who he is. We are the people in the mirror here as in heaven. The spirit of the Lord, where that's at, there is liberty. There is freedom. There is God's favor. There's a blessing that I think can never happen until we're reflecting the heart of God. Jesus, I want to thank you this morning. In the middle of a world, there's context to our world, Lord. There's, uh, <laughs> or there was context to the church at Corinth. But what you didn't do was just simply try to correct everything that you saw wrong. You just pointed people to Jesus. You said, that's our standard that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And when he's lifted up, people are drawn unto him. Not when I'm lifted up, not even when the church is lifted up, not when my beliefs are lifted up, but when Jesus is lifted up, people will be drawn unto him. So, Lord, that's what we pray today in the power of Jesus' name. Let my life be known for someone who reflects Jesus. Amen. Wow. What a great word. May, may the world see Jesus in us, that we might reflect God. And may our boasting be not of ourselves, but it, may our boasting be in the Lord. That's so good. I think I'm going to stay around another service and hear it again. <laughs> Would you join me in saying thanks not only to Glenn, but our church family on the other campuses? For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.